0: Welcome to Talking Facts, what you need to know about family, food, finance, and fitness. Hosted by the University of Kentucky Family and Consumer Sciences Extension Program, our educators share research knowledge with individuals, families, and communities to improve quality of life.
1: Hello, and welcome to Talking Facts. This is your host, Dr. Jennifer Hunter, Assistant Director for Family Consumer Sciences Extension at the University of Kentucky. Today, I'm joined by our Extension Family Health Specialist, Natalie Jones. Thanks so much for joining us today, Natalie. Glad to be here. I like today's topics. I, li- I like in general when you come because I feel like your topics are speaking directly to me and, and ways that I need to, to work on or things I need to work on in my life. And so today's topic is sleep. And we all know that being healthy is more than just eating right and having a good diet and focusing on physical activity, but there's many other aspects to to health and wellness. And so I'm excited to spend the next 10 minutes or so talking about sleep and you helping me sleep better.
2: Yes, that's exactly why we're here. So Exactly like you said, a lot of people know that we need to eat healthy and we need to be physically active, but sleep is one of the most underrated facets of health. We need to start talking about sleep seriously and how it can improve our health. So that's exactly what we're going to talk about today, just some basics of sleep, sleep habits, and what leading studies have said on sleep.
1: My first question, I don't even really know that I want to know the answer to it, but I'm going to ask you, how much sleep do we need and what can happen if we're not getting enough sleep?
2: Yeah, so sleep is important, obviously, for good health. Sleeping less than seven hours per night is linked to an increased risk of chronic diseases such as diabetes, stroke, high blood pressure, heart disease, obesity, and poor mental health, as well as an early death.
1: So, you've just established why we need to be talking about sleep and focusing on it. Exactly.
2: So, like we said, like not getting the recommended amount of sleep can really affect your ability to make good decisions. It actually increases the risk of getting in a motor vehicle accident as well. And so... The recommended amount of sleep is seven hours or more. So a lot of times people hear that seven to nine hours, but really there's no no ceiling on that. Seven hours minimum for adults and being able to kind of figure out what works best for you. Everybody is literally different, and so... For you to be high functioning and feel the most refreshed when you wake up, maybe you need eight hours. For me, I found that about seven and a half is my my perfect where I wake up ready to go. So, really, kind of figuring it out for yourself. But seven hours per night is what the CDC recommends minimum for adults for f- for sleep.
1: I often think that when you when you think about sleep, that sometimes for people that maybe do not get that recommended amount of sleep, that folks are in two different camps. It's either those of us, and I would say I fall in this group, that would like more sleep and we just don't get it for whatever reason it is. If it's having small kiddos and they're interrupting just your your normal sleep patterns, or if it is work commitments or stress or something else that is kind of preventing you from sleeping. And then I think that there's those folks kind of in the other camp that they they just feel like they can go with sleep and that they really push really the body's limits when it comes to functioning on lack of sleep. So what are some of the consequences
2: of not getting enough sleep? Right. So in our society, for some reason, there's like this stigma around sleep, right? So people think that it's kind of like a badge of honor. or They'll brag about it. Like, oh, I didn't get this much. I've been so, so working and so busy and doing all this stuff and they don't think about the consequences yeah. exactly. I want to brag about getting eight hours of sleep. I want to walk in every day and be right. like, I got eight hours of sleep Right. As night. you as you should. But a lot of people would be like, you were able to get that much sleep. Why weren't you being productive? Right. 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 But exactly. So that stigma around sleep is, is just huge. People think, like I was just saying, that you're lazy um, and that there's no way that you have enough time to sleep. And you should be able to get everything that we need to get done. And at least four to five hours of sleep a night, which is not true. So studies have shown that if you have sleep deprivation for 17 hours, your reaction time will be equivalent as if someone who was legally intoxicated. So that's impairment can look about like 45 milliseconds reacting slower and not making a good decision. So that's why one of the consequences is linked to those motor vehicle crashes, not just falling asleep at the wheel, but your response is not as quick.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, so so help me natalie help me sleep better what are yes. what are sleep habits that i could work towards developing or that folks could focus on to help them reach that minimum of the 7 hours of sleep a night yeah
2: so i think the basic is just starting at sleep duration so a lot of people have really no foundation in sleep we haven't really we don't talk about it people haven't been told how much sleep we should get especially as adults um you kind of start those sleep behaviors with children but then somewhere they kind of lag off, and we don't really have that sleep routine as an adult. And so really the main thing to focus on is that sleep duration. So again, minimum, every healthy adult does need at least seven hours of rest, um, but that is variable between you, between me. So it's there's really no upper limit. And I understand that seven hours to some people seems really daunting because the average adult gets about five and a half hours of sleep. So if you're one of those people— I believe in, in small changes. So you shouldn't try to jump suddenly from five and a half hours of sleep to getting nine hours, right? But building up to hit that minimum of seven, seeing how you feel, how your um, schedule allows for that, and then building gradually on what works best for you.
1: One of the things that that you just said kind of um, really stood out to me about that we spend so much time Working on sleep routines for our children and trying to help them sleep better and to make certain that they get a good amount of sleep. And especially when our kiddos are, are little, we'll, we'll have a schedule for them to, where they do the same thing every night so that they're in bed at the same time. And we focus so much on getting our kiddos the proper amount of sleep. But those sleep routines just Fall away in adulthood. That as we as we emerge into adults, we seem to to lose the or kind of no longer really understand the necessity or the need for having having that routine. So, if we had a perfect
2: night, what what should a sleep schedule look like? Yeah. So, actually, I want to touch on something else (laughs) now that you brought that up because I I definitely think we'll, we'll we can talk about we'll definitely talk about a sleep routine, but. As adults, because this is something different than with young kids, we have so many things going on throughout our day, through the whole day, that really add more variables to our sleep, right? So it's not just that night routine, okay. uh, but things that happen during the daytime that can affect our sleep at night, not just what we do before. So the first thing I want to talk about, I've been guilty of this myself, is how much caffeine we're taking, uh, especially, right, in during the day. So thinking about the time of day that you're taking caffeine is huge because obviously we know caffeine is supposed to energize you, so it can prevent you from that sleep whenever you want it. Um, So I would recommend trying to keep that coffee or that soda into that early morning or that early afternoon, since that life of caffeine is about six hours. Um, So obviously, if we have a soda or a coffee, you know, late in the afternoon or at dinner, it can really have an effect on our nighttime. This is another topic that a lot of people, a lot of adults may push back on a little bit, but it's the same thing with alcohol. So a lot of people think alcohol will help you sleep, that nightcap, you know, and it does. It does help you sleep. But the problem is it actually fragments our sleep when we're at nighttime. So it prevents you from going into that rapid eye movement of sleep, which is so important, that REM sleep. That's like when we're dreaming the most. And it also messes up with regulating that core temperature. So we're having a shallow state of sleep. We're fragmenting our sleep. So we could be waking up more than if we... um didn't have any alcohol. And like we know, it's a, it's a sedative. So it's sedation. It's, it's not sleep. You're just in a shallow state of sleep. Um, So it leaves you feeling unrestored and unrefreshed. But a lot of people have that alcohol obviously in the evening. So maybe limiting that alcohol can help with that sleep. So as you
1: mentioned alcohol in the evening, thinking about a wind-down time, Mm -hmm. that what could, especially for an adult, you know, should they have a wind-down time and what should that look like?
2: Yes, definitely. I think the most common thing, at least among my peers right now, I feel like is hearing them saying, like, they're falling asleep watching TV, falling asleep watching something on a tablet or anything like that. And that's just because they don't know – how to transition from the busyness of the day, right? They don't have that routine instead of just watching TV to fall asleep. So a lot of people struggle with that. So I'll list out an approach and some tools that could potentially help people devise or create that sleep routine.
1: I am going to admit to you, Natalie, that, that this is my weakness, that I All like right. to fall asleep watching TV yeah. because I, it is like the time that, well, my mind just can shut down and it just kind of starts to quiet.
2: No, I to totally, quiet. totally agree. I I totally do the same thing. So, the biggest thing is just recognizing that and maybe spending it doesn't have to be a big routine, five to 20 minutes right before bed. So, if you can, though, ideally, you'd want to plug in a phone away from your bedroom so you're not on your bed in your bed scrolling through anything about an hour before sleep and you want to remove. Those any electronic devices or TV co- computer use from the bedroom and an hour before sleep. But I realize that for some people that's not not capable or that seems really daunting. So just trying to remove it even five minutes to 20 minutes, 30 minutes out before you go to bed um, and replacing that, that time where you would be on your phone maybe um, with some things that you possibly already do in the evening or that you have your child do. So some light stretching if you feel like you aren't Totally ready for bed yet? A shower, maybe that helps, can help relax, even just reading in bed can help or really anything that you choose. It could be anything that helps relax you before sleep. And again, trying maybe for that half hour, building up on it if you can, or just five minutes. For me, this is what I have found as like the worst disturbance with my sleep is my racing mind. Like I use, yeah, Mm -hmm. I use TV as a way to kind of block that out. But then as soon as I, if I check my phone, I see something, I'm like, Oh my gosh! How am I gonna handle this? And I think that's a a heart, especially for anyone, anyone out there, that racing mind. So one of the big key takeaways for that that I've started doing is keeping a notepad by your bed and writing everything that's on your mind, and even writing a to do list for that next day. So that way you're like, okay, I'm not gonna forget about it. I wrote it down, and then you can go to sleep. And you have time to process that while you're writing it down. So scientifically, that's called cognitive offloading. So you're taking it from your brain, putting it on a piece of paper, and then able to move forward.
1: I will say, I think that's a great tip. And I, and I know this seems silly, like, why wouldn't I have thought of that myself? But that sometimes either right before bed or, or maybe kind of I've dozed off and then I wake back up and I'll think, I need to remember that for tomorrow. And then I'll wake up three or four times during the night thinking, I can't forget that. I can't forget that. I need to make certain I remember that for tomorrow. And it's just on my brain all night long that I'm worried I'm going to forget it. Uh, It makes total
2: sense. Keep a notepad there, write it down, and then my brain can move on. Exactly. So actually, a study was done on that. And it proved actually that not just writing something down, it can just be writing something down, but if you're feeling that stress, the more specific and longer that list is, then the better sleep that those participants got. So the more detailed your list is or whatever you're making, the better sleep that you'll be able to get cuz you'll know exactly. You're not going to wake up and be like, "Did I remember that?" or "What what was I saying I needed to remember?" You'll already know that it's written down and you can sleep easy.
1: Okay, I'm going to I'm going to try that because sometimes I feel like I work all night long thinking about different things and being concerned that I'm going to forget them in the morning. Yeah. Moving on from from the TV and maybe some of the bad habits that, that I currently have but that I can work towards – Sometimes you hear about body temperature. What really does temperature have to do with sleep disturbance? And how can you kind of regulate your body temperature at night?
2: Yeah. So really, as it is important. It's a great question to sleep. There is a correlation uh, between our body temperature and sleep. So what happens is as we start to fall asleep, our core body temperature also, also falls. And so to help maintain a helpful sleep... Actually, studies have shown that to keep your bedroom between 60 to 67 degrees. So that's the general target. But that can get cold, right? Right. That 60 is kind of cold. So obviously, you want to find that comfortable zone. I don't want you to freeze into a popsicle during your sleep. But around 67 would be ideal um, for for adequate sleep. So that that way, you don't have to deal with those sleep disturbances of, of waking up in the middle of the night. Just while we're thinking about this, too, keeping your room cold. That's important. But also, if you are a person who has trouble sleeping or you're on a night shift or a different type of shift, blackout curtains are really key with helping with those um, sleep disturbances as well, not just the body temperature. So that could be if you're having issues sleeping, maybe investing in blackout curtains or heavy, thick curtains can really help with, with that as well.
1: So we spent a lot of time talking about the importance of sleep and maybe some tips or tools that we can use to help us sleep more. But just in
2: general, as we're thinking about sleep, why do we sleep? That's a great question. We don't know science does not know why we sleep, but science and studies recognize that it is such an important part of our health and what occurs um, when we deprive ourselves of those sleep can be detrimental. So this is kind of morbid, but in an animal study that was done, animals die within 13 days of not having sleep. So if they keep them up 13 days... That's not good. So we are not built to not sleep. Fundamentally, it's part of our essential need. And we need that process in order to restore and get our body moving every day. But we don't know why our body needs it.
1: So and now I'm just asking you all the random questions about sleep that that I want to know. But I had had a college roommate and we, we lived in the dorms. And one of the things that she would do, she is not a morning person and she loved to hit snooze yes. and normally like when i hear the alarm clock i'm up and she would set her alarm clock so that she had you know an hour just to hit snooze and it would drive me Crazy because, you know, every yeah. 10 minutes or whatever, the alarm clock's going back off and she would hit snooze again. I'm thinking, just get up so I can go back to sleep because I don't have to be up
2: now. So,
1: what about, does that, like, are they getting
2: any real sleep out of that? Yeah, no, that is, that is a very important for roommates, for significant <laughs> others. Snoozing can be. A hard factor there. And what's shown actually with studies, it's funny that you say that, is that it's not just one snooze. So people who snooze actually will hit a snooze for five times, right? That's like the average is mm-hmm. five snoozes. And so the biggest thing is the issue with that is that no, they're they're not getting that sufficient. Extra hour of sleep by hitting snooze five times, mainly because we've kind of mentioned this earlier. But in that early morning is when you're actually getting that rapid eye movement, that that REM sleep. So we have that light sleep, deep sleep, and then rapid eye movement sleep, and that's when we dream the most. And it's actually more towards those waking hours, um, not in the middle of the night. And so if you're constantly hitting that snooze button, it's best actually, kind of like you said, just to maximize that quality of rest. And wake up when you really need to wake up. For example, I used to be a snoozer. Um, oh, I know, I was that roommate. Yeah. Um, but now I just give myself, if I'm not waking up on schedule, I'll give myself just one snooze. But as soon as I hit that one snooze, it's time to wake up. Okay,
1: I'm going to send her the link to this podcast and say you need to listen as we get close to the end. And Natalie's got some great tips about snoozing. Yeah. Another question, and it's a few weeks ago we talked about fitness trackers. And I know that there are several fitness trackers on the market that will actually track your sleep as as well. And I'll be honest, I take mine off at night because sometimes I don't want to see how bad I slept. But uh, because, it, you know, when I look at it on my phone or the app or whatever, I just think, oh, I wish I would have slept better. What's your thoughts on, on sleep trackers?
2: Yeah. So I think that if it connects the dots for you brings that awareness to sleep, then I think it's important. I don't think it's it's necessary unless you're really needing to, but I have found it helpful. I do wear a tracker that tracks my sleep. And um, we were kind of mentioning this before, but it has been my New Year's resolution to be working on sleep. And so, like I said, the minimum is seven hours, but there is that that ceiling. There's no ceiling, so you can get as much sleep as you find needed. And it has really helped me find that niche, that perfect time for me by realizing how I feel off off those days that I've tracked it. But if you don't have a tracker or anything like that, like if you're able to keep just that journal that you're taking those to-do lists in or writing those thoughts down, you can put in just when you get in bed and then kind of see how long it takes you to fall asleep. You don't have to write that down, but just being mentally aware of that and then knowing, writing down a time of when you wake up, and that can be enough too um, as well. Another thing that I want to just touch on before I forget is just sleep aids. People talk a lot about sleep aids. topic, right? Yes. Yeah, we could do a whole other podcast Mm -hmm. on that. So the biggest thing that I just want to say is there is a place and time for sleep aids, over-the-counter, or prescription. Totally understand that. But studies have actually shown that non-pharmacological methods are actually most helpful for improving sleep. So kind of going back to exactly what we've talked about, those lifestyle changes, if you um, decrease your caffeine in the afternoon, decrease your alcohol consumption towards bedtime, as well as if you're getting physical activity throughout the day, it aids in your sleep quality. So really focusing on that as well. Another big one too is melatonin. A lot of people use I
1: think you hear that fairly commonly. Yes.
2: And it has been proven benefits is minimal though because it's was designed basically what it's used for is for when you're crossing time zones. So to, help, that. Yeah, so to help with with traveling, that's what um, studies have shown it's best utilized for that circadian disruption. But that's not the way that most people use it. People are kind of just using it when they're in the same time zone, just as an everyday tool. And so um, that's not the most helpful. And there are some side effects of using those, even for melatonin, just an example of like being groggy in the morning or some different behavior. So the biggest tip I would say just for sleep aids is only use them if you really need it with a prescription or if you're traveling across time zones, anything like that, and really just trying to focus on those lifestyle behaviors to improve that sleep quality.
1: And again those are the stretching or yoga, reading a book, taking right. a shower, just very very small lifestyle changes that we can that we can utilize to really kind of create that same bedtime routine in adulthood that maybe we had as as children.
2: Exactly. Just that that 5 to 20 minute just time to resettle from the day, because we know we know life, work, stress can prevent us from getting that perfect night's sleep. So these tips may be small, but I promise they are affected. There's always something that we can do to get closer to that seven to nine hour goal, and it's it's the best thing that we can do for our bodies. Truly.
1: I'll tell you, Natalie, I caught myself yawning just a minute ago. And so I think just your conversation about sleep has made me think, think more about sleep. But yes. in all seriousness, thank you for joining us today and, and just really encouraging us to think more about, about sleep as adults and how important sleep is to our lives.
2: Yes. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to Talking Facts. We deliver programs focusing on nutrition and health, resource management, family development, and civic engagement. If you enjoyed today's podcast, have a question, or a show topic idea, leave a like and comment on Facebook at UKFCSEXT. Visit us online at fcs.uky.edu to learn more about the University of Kentucky Family and Consumer Sciences Extension Program, or contact your local extension agent for Family and Consumer Sciences. We build strong families. It starts with us.